0: This morning, would you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll look at verses 7 through 10 as we look at our word for the year, which is rest. Now again, it's very timely uh, that we arrive at this particular passage on this particular day and in this particular season of history, including church history. And we need a little background to help set it up. Paul had just shared that he, whether in or out of the body, he really didn't know but that he had been caught up to the third heaven, or paradise, and he had seen things so wonderful, it was unlawful for anyone to repeat them. Now he said earlier in this same chapter in 5 and 6, "...of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool." For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Now Paul is saying this, whether I actually had a vision or was literally transported to heaven, I really don't know. But what I do know is I have nothing to boast about concerning these things that happened to me. He said, instead, I'm going to boast in my infirmities, like we all do, right? Yeah. Now, that Greek word infirmities in our text is translated as weak. When I am weak, uh, then you are stronger. I am strong, Paul will say, and we'll see why he made that word selection in a moment. But I think the main point for us here this morning is who is writing, which is obviously the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about this man who has been labeled by historians, sacred and secular alike, as one of the greatest and most influential men in the history of the world. Now, I went on Wikipedia, which is always right. And they list Paul as the sixth most influential person who has ever lived. They list Jesus as third. Behind Muhammad and Isaac Newton. Which is stupid. I just don't know what else to call it. But. No matter where you check, if there's a list of the most influential people in history, Paul is somewhere near the top. Now, here's the point. Our minds often think that when we're doing well, when we're honoring and serving God, infirmities, reproaches, needs, and distresses that do come our way shouldn't. I've been doing good. What in the world is this that has all of a sudden come my way? Or our most often default thinking is, what did I do wrong? Where have I displeased the Lord that He has sent these things my way? Now Jesus said, say Jesus said. Jesus said, Jesus said in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. Tribulation but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now Peter would say this in 1 Peter 1, 6-9, In this you greatly, what? Rejoice. Rejoice, though now, for a little while, the span of our Christian lives, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith of the end result of a believing in Christ as Savior and Lord, and that is the salvation of your souls. Now, Jesus said tribulation is part of life. In this life, you're going to have it. Now, how many had an exclusion to that uh, throughout their journey so far? None of us are exempt from that, right? We are in this life going to have tribulation. That word means affliction, that word means anguish. It can be translated as burdens or persecutions and troubles. And this obviously sounds like Paul's life, but it sounds like ours as well. And we'll see why this is important in a moment. Now, Peter added that various trials are needed. If need be, you have been grieved. That tells us trials are grievous by various trials in order to prove genuine faith. Proving genuine faith is manifested by praising, honoring, and glorifying God in the midst of trials, and in the midst of life's tribulations, resulting in something that is more precious than gold that perishes. Now that tells us that even a man who did great things for God and His glory is not exempt from the afflictions, anguish, burdens, persecutions, And troubles of life and neither are we." Now, I don't know why it's so quiet this morning. It's our favorite topic, trials and tribulations, right? Is anybody here tired of the evil and the delusional thinking of our day? Things like Wikipedia ranking Muhammad as a more influential person than Jesus when Muhammad never saved a single soul and Muhammad is still dead, Jesus is alive and seated at the right hand of majesty. And listen, I believe that the Lord is about ready to signal the angel, blow that trumpet, I'm going to get my people. And all this is going to come to an end. Now our title this morning is something we all yearn for. As those who are longing for a city whose builder and maker is who? God, who in this life are constantly experiencing afflictions. Can somebody say amen to that? Anguish, burdens, persecutions, and troubles. And what we're in search of and what we're going to find hopefully this morning is how to access, and here's our title, Rest for the Weary. Rest for the Weary is our title this morning. Now, our visit to the word uh, that we've been examining thus uh, nine months so far is distinct from all the other visits that we've had. In that, rest in our text means to abide with or, listen to this, take possession of and live with. So we can take possession of rest and we can live with rest throughout the whole of our days here on earth. And our verses are the only place in the Bible where this particular word is used, that's translated as rest. And that also reminds us that there's only one place where we can find that rest, and that is in Jesus. Now, in a world where good is called evil, and evil is called good, where facts are replaced with fantasies, and where those who believe in facts are called bigots and haters, I'm sure rest for the weary is sounding pretty good for all of us right about now. So, let's learn how to possess it, and live with it through our verses this morning. So would you stand, read with me please, 2 Corinthians 12:7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12:7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak. Then I am strong. Lord, make us strong this morning. Help us to understand, Lord, that these things are ours and we are free to access the principles that we'll find from your word this morning. We never need live without them. So, Lord, as a people who are weary of this world and the evil we see growing in it day by day, teach us how to rest in you. We pray these things in the name above all others. the name of your Son, our Savior, Yeshua. Amen. amen you may be seated i think the first thing we need to draw our attention to is that paul directly links a relationship between the revelations he was given and this messenger this thorn in the flesh that he was experiencing now there's been multiple explanations as to what exactly the thorn in the flesh was some say Paul was under incessant temptation, others say he was facing constant opposition, which we know was true, and others say he had chronic maladies such as ophthalmia, uh, which was a Middle Eastern eye ailment, Uh, malaria, migraine, headaches, epilepsy, or some of the other offerings by commentators, and some say Paul had a speech impediment and he wished it would go away. And We'll talk more about where they came up with that here in a couple of minutes. Now What it was is less important than where it came from. It was from Satan. And the purpose was to keep Paul from becoming exalted, not only in the eyes of others, but in his own mind as well. You have to remember that Paul used to be a Pharisee. And Pharisees was a group that wasn't exactly known for their humility. Matter of fact, they thought they were better than everybody else. As a matter of fact, Paul thought he was so much better than everybody else that he was going around persecuting Christians, imprisoning them, and even standing in agreement at Stephen stoning to death. This is who Paul was. This is what his flesh was. And that had to be kept in control. And it could be that this thorn in the flesh was allowed by God to keep Paul's flesh in check, lest he become conceited like he used to be. Now, does any, do any of us battle our old fleshly uh, attributes and natures at times? Of course we do. But Paul would say this later in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I, what? Persecuted, Persecuted the church of God. And then in Galatians 1:13 to 14, Paul would write, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, it's clear. Now, listen close. That Paul's forgiven past was frequently on his mind. Was it forgiven? Was it separated from him as far as the East is from the West? but it still visited his thought life, and that can happen to all of us. I just had this happen to me the other day, and I've shared this with you before. It happens once in a while where something just comes in like a laser from the enemy, hits my mind of something I've done, and I just bow my head in shame, and then I have to remember it's covered by the blood of Jesus, and he has washed that away, and it doesn't rule me even though I remember it. Paul says, you know, I was kind of an overachiever amongst my peers, for I excelled even beyond those. I was exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, if you take that and add to it, that now here he is exclusively the only one who has received these revelations from the Lord directly himself. No other person had received these things that God allowed. And let me stress that God allowed this messenger of Satan, to buffet him. Buffet means to strike with a fist. It means to maltreat or even to treat with violence. And this very thing is why Peter would write, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Because we can see in Paul's own life that something was being formed in him that was more precious than gold. Something was happening in him that he was cooperating with via the Holy Spirit and his uh, abilities that had been basically uh, confiscated, so to speak, to be used for the goodness and the greatness of God and his kingdom. And what resulted from that was something that was more precious than gold in the form of a faith that praised, honored, and glorified God. This is what trials do. Yet, I think, as I said at the outset, we often misunderstand them. And this is the first place for us to introduce something that is an element of finding rest for our weary minds. And that is repentance of thought. Remember, repentance means by definition to change the mind. So if we're going to change how we view things, it starts up here, right? And then it will begin to make its way down through our emotions and feelings and all those other things. And here's the first paradigm shift we need in our thought, process, reg- thought processes regarding trials, and it's just this. Listen, trials are meant to refine us, not punish us. Trials are meant to refine us, not punish us. Where does our mind go when something bad happens? What did I do? And the penial aspect uh, we often think of or allow to penetrate our minds begins to take over. I must have done something wrong. Now we do know that whom the Lord loves, he rebukes and chastens. Right? That's what the Bible says. That's what Hebrews teaches. Like a good father, they discipline their children when they err. But we also have to remember what James said about trials. And that is in James 1, 2 to 4, where James would write, my brethren, count it all what? Joy Joy when you fall into what? Various Various trials. Be joyful when you fall into trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience is that Greek term, hupomone, which means patient endurance. Now, but let patience have its perfect work or let the trial do its thing that you may be perfect, meaning spiritually mature and complete, lacking what? Nothing. And now listen to what Hebrews says in contrast in 12:11. Now, no chastening seems what? Joyful. Did James say count it all joy when you fall into trials? And yet Hebrews says, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, if we are to count it all joy when trials come, and chastening is not a joyful experience, then trials and chastening have to be something different. They are different from one another. They're two different things. Now, when trials come and we spend all our time thinking, what did I do? We're never going to get to to the perfecting work that trials are meant to bring in our lives. So we are mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that trials are ever going to be pleasant. Hello? That doesn't mean that trials are ever going to be pleasant. Or that we're all of a sudden going to be praying for trials. Lord, send another one. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to pray that prayer. Lord, send me another trial. Are you going to pray that prayer? No, but they do come, right? Now, they're never going to be pleasant. And we don't, listen close, we don't need to be thankful for them, but we need to be thankful through them. And we need to face trials with the joy of our salvation intact. Remember, Jesus endured the cross, but He despised what? The shame. He despised the shame of this experience but there was a joy that was set before Him, which was a saving of our perishing souls, that kept Him on the cross. We know He could have easily come down. He could have spoke out of existence those who put Him there. He could have called on 12 legions of angels to come and fight for Him before He ever even wound up on the cross. But he stayed there because there was a joy that was set before him in this time of trial like no other human has ever endured and even put him in the garden on his knees sweating as if it were great drops of blood saying to the father, if there's another way to do this, let this cup pass from me. But what's the next word? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Listen, the only part we like about trials is the exit. Amen? And yet David would say this in Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Listen, someday, and I believe soon, we're going to move from the world of afflictions to the domain where there are none. And until then, we will have God-filtered and God-permitted trials and tribulations that are not punishment, but are meant to refine our faith into something that is better than gold. Now, what trials are meant to do in our lives is to get us to the place where Job landed, which was from Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, he'd already lost everybody he loved, except for his wife, who was a horrible counselor. <laughs> He'd he'd lost everything he had, his flocks and herds and houses and sons and daughters and grandkids. And he came to this conclusion, though he slay me, yet will I what? Trust him. We'll talk more about what he said after that. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him in a moment. Now, since there's so much good news going on around the world, let me share some more. San Francisco is thinking about paying people $300 not to shoot people. Paying people not to shoot people. I was thinking about driving up there and saying, you know what, I was going to shoot somebody, but if you give me 300 bucks, I won't do it. I mean, how do you monitor that? What an idiotic idea. Well, I don't think uh, uh, San Francisco is exactly known as the moral think tank of the world anyway. Now, I want you to think about this. There is outrage all over the country, including being expressed from the president because Governor Greg Abbott of Texas passed legislation that saves the lives of 150 unborn children every single day. And people are outraged that he did that. Well, you know what? That's not just stupid, that's evil, that's demonic. Biological boys are allowed to play on girls' sports teams, use their restrooms, locker rooms, and uh, shower areas. There's constantly changing directives coming out of the CDC, which, by the way, has absolutely no power to tell anybody what to do. Congress makes laws, not the CDC. And the fact is, I'm growing weary of all these things, and so are you. I'm getting tired of seeing all this nonsense come down the pike at all of us and we all have to deal with it. We all have to absorb it. But here's the point this morning. Good times are not the only times that we can have rest. Amen. We can have rest right now. Amen. We can have rest in the middle of all this nonsense that's going on. And rest can be had when trials and tribulations become personal. And we have to remember that they are meant to refine us, not to punish us. Yes. Jesus was punished for our sins. Amen. All of them. You ought to be happier than that about that fact. I certainly am. Listen, he was punished for all of our sins. Amen. So if they come our way, if they are difficult and even painful, the purpose of them is the perfecting of our faith and patience and something that results in us no matter what's going on, giving praise to the Lord, which is more precious than gold. Listen, Paul wasn't being punished because of the revelations he received. He had no part in going to heaven or seeing this vision, whichever one actually took place. That was all the Lord's doing. And what the Lord allowed in the form of a messenger of Satan was meant to refine Paul and keep him usable, not to punish Paul for what he had seen and heard, and even it had become. Now, let's take a second look at Galatians, or at Galatians, <laughs> at 2 Corinthians the 12, 8, and a uh, portion of 9. Stop at the word weakness. Paul then says, concerning this thing, this messenger of Satan that was buffeting my flesh, that was pounding me, hammering on me constantly, he said, I pleaded with the Lord how many times? <laughs> Three times that it might depart from me. And he, the Lord, responded saying, my grace is sufficient for you, My for my strength is made perfect in Weakness. Now the word pleading is interesting because it can mean to summon or to call upon. But in this context, the most fitting understanding is to strive to appease by entreaty. To strive to appease by entreaty is the way for us to understand this. Now appease means to satisfy somebody's demands. Now to entreat means a humble or a pleading cry. Now Paul obviously was approaching this from not sure what I did but forgive me for it and deliver me from this. Otherwise, he wouldn't seek to appease the Lord, implying that he somehow had erred. And the Lord's reply in paraphrase was simply this. Listen, Paul, the fact that I have saved you by grace through faith is sufficient. In areas of moments of weakness is where my strength shines through you. Now, it was accused of Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.10, They said his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is what? Weak and his speech contemptible. That's why some commentators think Paul had a speech impediment because his speech was contemptible. But if you look at the uh, actual word contemptible, it means to be of no value. So it's not the manner of speech, but it's the content of what Paul said uh, that was contemptible to the hearers. Now, Paul's name means small. Or little. His bodily presence was not that of a commanding orator who could own an audience simply by his physical presence and appearance. It wasn't a uh, like his namesake Saul type of thing who was uh, head taller than the rest of the nation of Israel and certainly those in his tribe. Paul was a little man. Paul was small. Now that doesn't mean that Paul entreated the Lord to relieve him of being vertically challenged. That isn't what Paul was praying for. Oh Lord, make me taller. So I could have a more commanding physical presence when I speak to people. What Paul was entreating the Lord about was his infirmities. And these reproaches, his needs, and his persecutions and he experiences and the distresses that come from those things. He pleaded with the Lord, take these things from me. Now, you can't talk about persecution and afflictions without mentioning Job. So let's talk a little more about him. In Job 2, 1-6, we see again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also among them to present himself before the Lord came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going uh, to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it, Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely... Curse you to his face, to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is what? He's in your hand, but spare his life. Anybody else ever read things like this and thought, oh God, please don't brag about me. Now, we need to be careful here and not make the assumption that every physical ailment is spiritual in nature. Now, we live in a fallen world. Sickness is part of this life. Death and disease were introduced because sin was introduced into the world. But we need to be equally as careful to recognize the fact that physical afflictions can be the result of spiritual attacks. Isn't that what happened with Job? Weren't there boils on his body that were the end result of Satan's attack on him? Yes, he was being afflicted. Yes, it became physical. Paul, same type of thing. It was physical. The attacks that he experienced. And most of all, as our example, is Jesus. Was Satan trying to destroy him? And what did he try to do? Multiple times he tried to have him killed. He finally wound up on the cross where Satan actually lost, thinking he was going to win. I wondered if you didn't hear that or something. (laughs) Now, remember we heard from Job earlier and pause for a second. He said, though he slay me, doesn't matter what he does to me though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And then he said, even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Now, the word defend means to plead. What did Paul do about his messenger of Satan? He pleaded with the Lord three times. Now, this implies that it was something that had suddenly overtaken him, not a lifelong speech impediment or anything of that nature. And Paul was saying, as Job did, you know, I... I'm not understanding what I'm going through. Uh, My ways are defensible before you, and I've not erred in ways that I'm conscious of. And uh, so please remove this from me. I haven't done anything to merit this type of experience in life. Now, the Lord's answer wasn't what Paul wanted, but it was better. Do you hear that? The Lord's answer wasn't what Paul wanted. It wasn't even what he asked for, but it was better. The Lord said to him, Jesus spoke, saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, how are we going to get rest for the weary in the midst of all the nonsense we're living in? Here's one of the things I think we need to realize no matter what season of history we are in or what portion of life we are currently uh, experiencing, listen this morning. No matter God's response to our heartfelt cry, He's still good. No matter God's response to our heartfelt cry, He is still good. And when God's answer is, you know what, you need this trial to refine your faith, He's still good. When God's answer is the opposite of what we ask for, He's still good. When our pleadings are of a most urgent nature, and it seems like God is silent, He is still good. No matter God's response to our heartfelt cry, He is good. Somebody say, Amen. Now, why can we say that? Well, because His grace is sufficient. Because by His grace, you and I were saved when He sent, when the Father sent His Son to die for our sins and cover them in His own blood. Now, listen, when we are at our weakest moments and His strength is revealed in and through us, that's how we're having the trials and tribulations have their performance. Affecting work in us. Now, God allows things we don't like. God allows things we don't understand. I don't see the good in the loss of my dear friend and longtime confidant, Dr. Mark Mettler. It makes no sense to me. I can't find anything good about it. All I can find circulating around that tragic event that we experienced back in March is not good. I don't like it. I miss him all the time. I, not even remotely comparable to how his wife Lily is feeling. But let me say this. We stood around his bed praying for a miracle. We were hoping God would have him sit up and open his eyes and say, Back! Amen. Thanks for praying for me. But you know, the doctors had come in and said there's nothing that can be done. And I watched Mark's wife, our dear friend Lily, listen, at the most painful and difficult moment of her entire life, grab the nurse that was caring for Lily's dying husband and pray over her with tears streaming down her face that God would strengthen her and use her and protect her and bless her as she stood next to the bed of her husband, whom she was saying goodbye to. You know what that is? That is strength being made perfect in weakness. That's what the Lord wants to bring about in all of us. Yeah, things come that we don't like. He allows stuff we wish He didn't. And sometimes his prayer feels like it's exactly the opposite of what we were asking. Yet we have to remember in Second Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is what? Loyal. Is it up there? Yeah. Loyal to him. He's running through the whole earth, looking through the whole earth sh- to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. Now listen, God is looking for those to whom He can show Himself strong. And thus when the answers are the opposite of what we want, or the cry for healing is answered with permanent healing through death, or maybe He says, my grace is sufficient when you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And no matter God's response to our cry, He is still good. And He is still the only source of rest for the weary. Now, Let's look at the other half of 9 and down into verse 10. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, please note, he mentioned these things that are for Christ's sake. And there's a difference in being persecuted for being a knucklehead and being persecuted for Christ's sake. Amen? Amen. So we have to make that distinction very clearly. Now, Paul says, therefore, remember, therefore means in light of these things, or accordingly, I will most gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may abide with or take possession of and live upon me. Now, Paul is not making some kind of masochistic statement in verse 10, where he says he takes pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, needs, uh, persecutions, and distresses. The word pleasure means to think well of, or even to think it good. In other words, he knew that God was good, and he knew that he was God's. So whatever came his way was within God's will for him, including things he'd rather live without. He pleaded with the Lord to take it away from him. Three times he pleaded. He had a heartfelt, from the depths of his soul, cry to the Lord, please take this from me. Now, what was he asking the removal of? Infirmities. It means feebleness or frailty. Reproaches, meaning insults or word injuries. There's a lot of word injuries floating around today. And that old adage is a lie. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Bones heal. Sometimes words create permanent wounds. Amen. Now, persecutions means religious hostility or ill treatment for your religious position. Needs means exactly what we would think. Basic necessities of life. Distresses means anguish. And he closes with, when I am weakened by these things in the flesh, it's then that I am strong in the Lord. And this is why Paul could write Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to what? His purpose. his purpose. Does his purpose sometimes have stuff we don't like? Yes. yes. And then in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, Paul would write to the church at Philippi, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I know that in whatever state I am to be what? Content. Content. He said, I know how to be abased. I know how to have nothing. I know how to abound. I know how to live in bountiful times. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is not pointing to what many people try and use that verse to point out uh, in 4.13. He's pointing back to what he just said. I can do hunger in Christ. I can do bounty in Christ. I can do suffering in Christ. I can be abased in Christ. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me in these things that tend to make us weak in the faith, or at least wobbly for the moment. Now, here's the takeaway I think we all need at one time or another. And I think there's probably more who need this right now than at any other time in recent history. And it's just this. Listen this morning. We can rest in knowing he never wearies of coming to our aid. We can rest in knowing he never Wearies of coming to our aid. I'm sure you're as glad as I am that when we cry out, the divine response is never you again. What do you want now? But Psalm 46 1 to 3, the sons of Korah write this God is our refuge and strength, a very present help when in trouble, therefore we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, no matter what's going on in the world. And even though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, everything collapses around you. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. God is still our refuge and strength. Amen. Now Think about these beautiful verses in Isaiah 43, uh, 2 and 3, the first part. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overtake you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. Why? For I am the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. You're what? Savior. Savior. That word can mean deliverer as well. And then Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 reminds us, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, in case you're wondering who it is, Jesus, the Son of God, yeah. let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, since this is our high priest, the Son of God, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of what? That we can obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help when? In time of need. You have 642 opportunities and then no more. Where does it say anything even remotely close to that? We can keep coming, right? Yeah. We can keep saying, Lord, I'm having a bad day Amen. again. Amen. Lord, I need your help Amen. again. And he says, hey, you know what? Let's go through this together. Waters are getting deep, Lord. Things are heating up around me. We'll pass through them together. It's not going to scorch you. Why? I'm the Holy One of Israel. I'm the Lord your God. I'm your Savior. Remember, the head of the church and the Holy One of Israel are the same person. Amen? Amen. Now, the sons of Korah said God's our refuge. God is our source of strength and that God is a very present help in trouble. Isaiah says there are no waters that will pass through alone. There are no fiery trials that can burn or scorch us. Hebrews adds that we're saved by grace because we are. We have access to an unequaled source of help every single time we're in need. How often is he the last place that people turn to? Or how often is he at the... Uh, middle to bottom of the list. I remember there was a time where uh, Terry had been struck with a, a, an illness many, many, many years ago. Our kids were uh, very young and uh, Terry had something called chronic fatigue immune deficiency syndrome. It was kind of new and was uh, sort of in the mononucleos- uh family and uh, she was bedridden for, for a couple of years uh, most of the time. And um, <laughs> I remember one time you know, we had prayed and asked other people to pray and, and uh, I was an elder at the church we were a part of and I heard one of those heavenly on the brain. Hello? Hey, Mr. Elder, how come you haven't you taken your wife down to the church like the Bible says, had her anointed with oil and be prayed over by the elders of the church? Why haven't you done that, Mr. I-teach-the-book? Well, we did that and God healed her. I wish we'd have started there instead of ended there. (laughs) And certainly she does as well. Now, we have constant access to a source of help, not only in every time of need, but in every kind of need. No matter what's going on, we can go to him. So let's close with a reminder of what we quoted from 2 Chronicles 16. The eyes of the Lord are roaming through the earth looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him so he can show himself strong, On their behalf. Now, that means we need to guard our hearts and minds. That means we need to not let the difficulties of life intrude upon what we know to be true that God is love and God is good no matter what comes our way. And that He is worthy of our praise no matter what comes our way. And I think sometimes this is hardest when they come in ways and at times that aren't just painful, but they don't make any sense at all. Lord, I've been doing so good. Gosh, I've been to church now two weeks in a row. Or three or five or ten years or whatever. Or whatever you deem to be good behavior uh, before the Lord. The Bible has a pretty uh, clear-cut indication of what is pleasing to Him. But whatever our minds may think that allow us to feel like, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm stronger in my walk right now than ever before. And then what happens? Whammy. Something comes at you. Something out of nowhere comes at you. Is God still good then? Yes. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing, and here's our concluding reality. Our minds want explanations. We want to know three letters. Why? Why did this happen? And listen, we will, and here's the hard part. You ready? One of you is ready. Anybody else want to get on the bus? We will very likely live the rest of our lives without the thing we want most, and that is knowing why. We will spend the balance of our lives not knowing why some things happen. There are some things that will make sense later. I think even in looking back at the birth of this church, I felt like God had called me to go to Los Angeles and plant a church there. And we did uh, go for six months and a church plant was not the end result. But I didn't know at the time that he was making me ready for what's going to happen at Calvary Chapel Tustin. It didn't make sense to me at that time. Now it makes perfect sense now. The loss of Dr. Mettler. I just can't see anything good from it, except that he's with the Lord. Amen. Amen. And that's why David would say in Psalm 27, 13 to 14, things like that. I, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord where? Amen. In the land of the living in the here and now. So he says, wait on the Lord. Listen, here's something interesting about the word wait. It, it can mean to maintain active hope. Maintain active hope. Wait on the Lord. It's going to take courage. So be of good courage and He will strengthen what? Your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Listen, we've said it a dozen times this morning. It'll always be true. God allows painful things. But those painful things are not limited to people who are struggling in their walk as trials and tribulations are not punishment. But no matter what He allows and even when it feels like He doesn't hear us, He's good. And we can rest in the fact that every time we have need, be those needs great or small, He is present to help us and passes through them with us. And He never wearies of doing so because He loves us with an unparalleled love. And Psalm 103 says in 10 to 14, He's not dealt with us according to our sins. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west so far, has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. Now I like what He says here. He he knows our frame. He knows what we're made of. You know how He knows that? Uh, He's the manufacturer. He's the one that made us. And He remembers that we are what? Dust. Now listen as we close. The Lord remembers we came from the dust. He knows we struggle. He knows we stumble. He knows we doubt. He knows we worry. And yet he removed our sins from us through the blood of his son so far from us we'll never meet the consequences of them again. Now, so when we're wondering if he loves us, and cares about us and hears the entreaties or the heartfelt cries to him, the place to find the answer is the cross, not our circumstances. Because he's good no matter what comes our way. And sometimes he allows hard and painful things and even lets Satan buffet us. But soon and very soon, soon and very soon, it's all going to come to an end. Yeah. You, and we will be in a sickness, death, pain, and sorrow-free realm forever amen. and ever. Somebody say amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Father, we are so grateful you. for your matchless word. Thank you for uh, the honesty of Paul and his willingness to cooperate with what your spirit was doing in him. Deal with his flesh and his natural tendencies that we all have, and yet, Lord, knowing and recognizing that this refinement process that that you use will produce in him and therefore us something better than perishing riches and gold. And Lord, we want to open ourselves up to that and admit to the times where we've doubted and questioned and worried and done all the things you told us not to do. And we want to thank you that you knew that you would tell us and we'd do it anyway. Tell us not to and we'd do it anyway. And yet you keep loving us and you keep saying yes to our cries for help. And even when you answer in ways we wish you didn't, we want to acknowledge that you're still good. You are the great God of heaven and there is none like you and you do all things well. So we honor you, we bless you, we thank you for your Son, our Savior. We thank you especially that someday he's coming to get us and we'll forever be with you and see him face to face. We bless you for these things. Help us not to waver and wander until that day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen.